Welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Baseball Buds podcast. I'm your host, Richie. Joining me as always is Matt. Today we are going over the second part of our starting pitching rankings and getting into relief pitching. But I got to tell you, I'm excited with spring training. A lot of our prospects are hitting. Jason Dominguez, Ronnie Mauricio's cranking some home runs. Garrett Mitchell's cranking home runs. I just love to see it. Baseball is right around the corner. Matt, how are you doing? And I know you're just as excited as I am. Yeah, it's been a really fun spring so far. And I, I think more importantly, what this year feels like is probably the first official year we're back to the regular schedule back to non-COVID baseball. I know over the last couple of years, you know, there have been ups and downs with the way we expected pitchers to have full seasons, innings caps, you know, just overall rust being on some of these players, especially the younger players that missed that full season that may not have been in the extended camps for COVID. I think this year we're starting to see, hey, the guys have had a full year and a half in the minors. Things are getting back on track. And I think we're starting to see that in the performance if you look at the slash lines and the overall average for some of these younger kids right now, they're coming up and they're, and they're hitting in spring. And while watching the, uh, the telecast today of the Brewers and White Sox games, one of the announcers for the White Sox made a really, really great point. And he said, you know, while it's nice to have the average where it is for certain, these, for certain of these players, you got to think, too, that even if you're a starting pitcher like Corbin Burns today, you're not going to be fully in season like action or readiness you know your flat ball might be a little fastball might be a little flatter your cutter may not be cutting in the way you want it to so a lot of these younger players while they may be getting hits against elite level pitching or at least major league level pitching they are still facing actual pitches that may be more similar to what they faced in the minor leagues and also again you know from location to pitchers trying out new things there are definitely reasons to kind of temper our excitement i think but overall i'm very excited about spring Oh, absolutely. And that that's something that a lot of times we overlook or do is overreact to some of these things. Somebody's super hot in spring training and they rise up draft boards. Corbin Carroll's flying up draft boards. Jordan Walker's flying up draft boards. But at the end of the day, you got to look at who they're hit, getting these hits against with the World Baseball Classic too. Some of these bigger names are starting to leave spring training to get ready for that. I think that starts later this week, actually. But uh, enough about spring training. Let's hop right into our rankings. So last time we talked to the listeners, we finished off with my tier three, tier five, I should say, which ended at Kyle Wright at number 34. I believe you ended at 36. So I'll leave it to you, Matt, to give us your next tier that you have at 37. Uh, Take us where it goes to and a little bit about some of the guys you like in that area. Yeah, I want to really quickly just touch on a few of the names that we talked about last episode just to catch the listener up. Uh, my last real tier from 29 to 25 would have been Logan Webb, Kyle Wright, Luis Severino, Dustin May, Jack Flaherty, Nestor Cortez, George Kirby is where I finished off last episode. These are guys that I have high confidence in. I feel like you could have bounce backs. Jack Flaherty there at 33. We saw a really nice spring start from him yesterday with 5Ks. Uh, obviously there's injuries attached Dustin May coming back from Tommy John Luis Severino has injury concerns but when I look at this tier that I had last it really is guys that I'm confident in in my three or my four and moving forward anyone in you know the, the future rankings here from 36 on down I do feel like there's big time question marks with and there are more question marks than the guys that I had mentioned above George Kirby 
And that kind of starts us off at 36 with Logan Gilbert. Logan Gilbert here had a great 2022 season. You know, you and I talked a lot about him last year. And when you actually look at the underlying numbers, some of the saber metrics that Logan Gilbert was presenting, he was definitely outperforming what his underlying numbers were showing. And I think we're going to see some regression in regards to what he's actually able to do on the field this year. That's why I have lowered him in my rankings from where I had him last year. Definitely a guy I would be happy with as my four or my five. You know, you're shooting for a reproduction of his 2022 season. I don't know that there's much more of a ceiling that he can have outside of his production last year. I could be wrong. Again, the big hype on him last year was coming out of spring that he had been working with Jacob deGrom. You know, he is still a, ve a young, very young pitcher. I think there could be growth. But I also think George Kirby is the better pitcher in that rotation. At 37, I have Lance Lynn. Again, we had some question marks last year with health coming back. He had a really nice spring start today against the Milwaukee Brewers, so he looks to be fully healthy and ready to go. At 38, I have Nick Lodolo. A lot of upside here, but still pitching in Cincinnati. There is big concern there. Uh, and then my next two pitchers are going to be the injury concern. You know what you're going to get when they're on the field. The question mark is how often are they on the field, and that is Clayton Kershaw at 39 and Chris Sale at 40. Yeah, there's a lot of names I like there. Um, a little, I will say on Jack Flaherty, we've talked about this in the past. I'm a little skeptical. I need to see a little bit more. But he has ro risen up my rankings. I originally had him in the late 50s, early 60s. He has now risen to number 47 on my rankings. So I could easily see him cracking the top 30s for me if he can prove that he's getting it all together. But moving along into my next here 35 through 42 a lot of similar names you have here i call this my bounce back tiers now not everybody is qualified as a bounce back but i'll go ahead 35 i have clayton kershaw 36 i have hunter green i really like hunter green this year he's just one step away from getting it all together he reminds me a little bit of what we saw from corbin burns but if he can't keep that command in check you know he'll have a high fours era again 37, I have Tony Gonzalez. Then 38, Luis Severino, Charlie Morton at 39, and 40, Chris Sale. So I call it the bounce back tiers for these three guys. When I'm looking at this part of the draft, these are the three guys I'm primarily targeting. I like Luis Severino. He pitched 102 innings last year. His K per nine was 9.8, but he was normally around 12 K per nine. He's another year removed from Tommy John, so I like what he could do, um, especially now that they brought over, um, while I'm blanking on who they brought over, oh, Carlos Rodon. So he's further down the pecking order. So I definitely like that. Charlie Morton I like um, as a bounce back, still has the strikeout rate. Chris Sale, um, I, I like all of these guys have ace potential, and they've shown it in the past. Just can they keep doing it? Then uh, to round out this tier 41, Kodai Senga and then Nick Lodolo. Matt, you want to jump in here? Yeah, and I love I love both Lodolo and Green. My concern is that we saw Green last year have a few opportunities throughout the season where he would have big-time blow-up games. And I don't think you have the same risk with Lodolo. I think Green's going to give you the heavy arsenal of strikeouts. Also, we're going to see a step forward from Green. I think Green could have an absolute breakout season, but when I rank... Lodolo a little bit higher there at 38. I'm doing it purely because what I'm looking for is consistency. Now, if I'm gauging again back to how we drafted and we talked about this a lot throughout our rankings, if I'm being more aggressive at this tier right here because I have more safety nets above them, 
I probably will go with 100 green and I'll probably bypass my rankings. But again, it all goes back to how my team is constructed. Coming in at 41, I have Blake Snell. Had a fantastic finish to the year last year, but we've seen a lot of inconsistency from Blake Snell since that Cy Young award-winning season. Definitely a guy where I'd probably like to have him as my five. Um, if he's at my four, I'm probably going to have to build more consistency around him. You know you're getting strikeouts with Blake Snell. Tony Gonsolin comes in at 42 for me. Had a fantastic season last year until the injury came up, and that is another concern with Gonsolin. He is a Dodgers pitcher, so they have a lot of different options, especially in the minor leagues. If there is concern with him or they're getting closer to the postseason, he could definitely have innings cut short. I do think we'll see a slight regression in Tony Gonsolin's numbers this year. Jesus Lazardo coming in at 43. This is an individual that is rising up rankings as well as draft charts right now. You're going to get the strikeouts from Lazardo. Absolutely love the home park there in Miami. Concern is he's going to get you a lot of wins because of the bats that are behind him. And do we see more of those injuries climb up? I think that's the trend we're seeing with these pitcher rankings is almost every single pitcher has a designation of injury concern. Uh, Hunter Green coming in at 44 kind of finishes this little bit of a tier for me. These are all guys that do have their question marks for me, but all guys that definitely could provide value. And honestly, I think they're all guys that could creep into that SP3 role if everything goes right. Yeah, I like a lot of the tier you have here. Uh, I'll just call this my next tier is a breakout 1A. A lot of these guys I, I like a lot. 43, I have Jesus Lazardo. Love everything you said there. It seems like the Miami Marlins just have a way with pitching. They know what to do with these guys to unlock their full potential. 44, Dustin May. Honestly, I think he's one of the, the breakouts of the year, and it's simply innings. I, I don't think he gets more than 100. This year, maybe 120 max. Um, so if he were to give you a full workload, I could easily place him in my top 30, maybe top 25, just on pure stuff alone. I remember, Matt, when you had him and I played against you and I was watching it and just the stuff he was throwing. Filthy. I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. I was like, what is this carrot top guy doing on the mound? <laughs> uh, okay, getting aside for myself. Uh, 45, I have Jeffrey Springs. Um, you've known this for a while, Matt. Jeffrey Springs is my boy. I've been on him since before anybody was on him. Just looking at the underlying number, I was really into baseball savant more than I should have. Um, baseball savant's the reason why I got rid of Shane Bieber last year, and that didn't work out well for me. But I was following Jeffrey Springs when he was working as a middle reliever or um, right after an opener for the Tampa Bay Rays. And then when there was word that he was going to start getting uh, full workload, I was like, I need to jump on him. And I forced the trade just so I could open up a roster spot so I could get this guy. I want me Jeffrey Springs anywhere I can get him. He's going to provide you less than three ERA. His strikeouts will be above average, but they're not going to blow you out of the water with a 12K per nine. I'm thinking more nine to 10 range, which is more than serviceable. The reason why he falls to this range is everybody's afraid of the Tampa Bay Rays and their inability to let pitchers go the distance. Jeffrey Springs, I don't know how many times I could tell you that he went four and two-thirds or five and two-thirds and he missed qualifying for a win or qualifying for a quality start. But I truly think this year they're going to unlock him and let him go. you got Shane McClanahan with the shoulder injury. Now you have Tyler Glass now with his injury. They're going to need to rely on some guys to eat up some innings. And I think you can find that with Jeffrey Springs. I like him a lot personally. 
if it wasn't for that innings concern, you still have to keep it in the back of your head. But I could see him just like Dustin May rise up those ranks. Then at 47, I have Jack Flaherty. Um, and then 48, I have Joe Ryan and Pablo Lopez, a pair of Minnesota Twins. Um, yeah, there's not much to say on that. They've got a favorable ballpark, and if that offense can stay healthy, I think they've got the run support to get some some wins on that team. Matt, yeah, what do you think, think of this tier here? Anything that stick out to you? I think we see a bounce back this season for Minnesota. I think that offense will improve a little bit. Joey Gallo is there now, so you have a little bit more thump in that lineup. Obviously, we're looking for Byron Buxton to finally stay healthy. Jose Miranda has an, had an absolutely fantastic spring so far, showcasing even more power than I think we saw last year, which was projected. We're going to see Minnesota pro probably win this division, um, but we're going to need to see more wins from both Pablo Lopez and Joe Ryan. Obviously, Lopez coming over now is going to be a big bump for him, no longer pitching in Miami. <clears throat> But I think what you talked about with Springs may actually cause me to move him up in my rankings as we get closer to the season here because my number one concern for Springs and why I have him lower in my uh, my tier kind of just after this final tier of breakouts is the concern on innings. But when you look at that team and you notated it, you talk about the injury to Glasnow already. You know, Glasnow, out of all the pitchers we've talked about with injury designations, has always been a guy that cannot break that innings threshold that he set a few years back before the Tommy John and then also Shane McClanahan they have to be very very careful with because of the velocity coming off his left arm as well as just the youth that he is so you need somebody in this rotation to provide you steady innings that may just be Springs this season and if that's the case you're talking about Springs probably shooting all the way up into my 38 37 range kind of placed right there with Lance Lynn Nick Lodolo if not right next to Nestor Cortez at 34 um, I have him currently at 52. We will get to him in a moment. This next tier for me is well. Really before you move on, before you move on, just to to let you know, 2018 Springs 32 innings, 2019 32 and a third, 2020 20.1 innings, 2021 44 and two thirds inning. Then last year 135 and a thirds innings. So it makes sense that they didn't want to push him. This this is a guy who has never thrown more than 44 innings and he threw 135 last year and didn't crack under pressure didn't have any injury concerns didn't hit a cold streak at all so i i think you can easily see him get to i mean they jumped him i can't do the math off to my head, about 90, 90 innings yeah. roughly i mean I wouldn't be surprised if he's pushing 180, 190 easily, I mean, barring injury. Well, and there's the concern, though, right? You know, you talk about such a significant jump. Now, does he run into injury concerns in this 2023 season because he did have a significant jump? Or does the result ultimately land where you talked about, which is pushing 160, 170, even possibly 180 because of, of sheer need, right? Like, if, if there's nobody else that can take these innings, are you really going to call up Taj Bradley to start eating innings. No, you're not. You know, you have to protect those youthful pitchers as they're doing with McClanahan. It, it'll be interesting to follow Springs this season. Uh, definitely a guy that I think is, for me personally, unlike you who are, are so sold on him, for me, he's going to be a, a wild card because he could either, as I talked about with a few other pitchers, rise up to that SP3, possibly even an SP2 if he has a lot of favorable luck or a guy that you're monitoring as someone that got hurt because obviously an organization by need pushed him um, well at his at his price tag at where he's going after pick 170 in espn i will roll the dice on that as a number two or three uh, upside guy for sure but go ahead with your next tier 
Well, and, you know, if I were to put a comp on my possible ceiling for Springs, um, I would probably put him as a not a poor man's Valdez because Valdez in himself is an overachiever. Um, but I would consider him a similar pitcher in that regards, probably a little bit more than one K per, um, you know, nine. And he's going to give you the good ERA and probably the good whip at his position. You're getting an absolute steal. If he can give you similar production to Valdez, you know, Valdez going so much higher in drafts right now, I would probably imagine top 50, uh, possibly top 60 if I were to look at it. But Valdez on ESPN right now is ranked 76th in Roto and categories. So you're getting and Springs Jeff, 100 picks after. Jeffrey Springs is 183 on that same um, rankings list. Yeah, 100, absolutely. I mean, that's a, that's a comp right there, and that's a steal. 100 picks after the fact. Um, okay, back to rankings. At 45, paired right underneath Hunter Green, I have Grayson Rodriguez, and I put him here specifically because of Hunter Green. I would still rather have Hunter Green coming into the 2023 season. We see a little bit more polish there. We see some big league production as well as Hunter Green's nine starts to end the year last year against poor competition with his absolute domination. Grayson Rodriguez being the number one pitcher and number one prospect from the starting pitching rankings coming into the 2023 season should presumably make the opening day roster. But again, you're going to have question marks. How many innings do they allow him to go after that lat injury in 2022? And what kind of performance is he being given within the major league ranks? Are they allowing him to go five, six innings, or are they really monitoring his per-game pitch count? But I do love him. I think if there's anybody that we can comp for a breakout for a possible um, big-time performance, maybe a Strider-esque 2023, I think it's got to be Grayson Rodriguez as the number one pitcher. Coming in at 46 and 47, I have a couple veterans that I think could be consistent pitchers in your rotation, guys that you're probably going to want to lean on just for the overall numbers. Uh, Chris Bassett, I expect to regress in 2023 based on his 2022 numbers, also switching ballparks, going into a very, very competitive division with Toronto, and then Charlie Morton at 47. Charlie Morton definitely didn't have the ability to get ahead in counts last year, and it cost him dearly. His curveball and, and the spin rate was absolutely off the charts but every game I watched from Morton last year he was constantly behind batters he's got to focus in on his control this year he's got to be more aggressive with attacking and I think if he's able to do so you're going to see better numbers from Morton probably similar to his 2021 end of the year absolute dominance coming in at 48 I have a question mark in Freddie Peralta we've seen him fluctuate um, up and down the starting pitching ranks over the last three years definitely looking for health to kind of be the forefront of Peralta's 2023 season. Uh, coming in at 49 is Kodai Singa, Mr. Ghost Fork Splitter, uh, rated better than Otani's splitter in itself, and I got to see it on display in his first spring training start the other day, and it was special. This kid has a pitch, and I think when I look for players kind of at the end of this, this tier here going into my uh, future tiers, I'm looking for which pitcher can put away batters, which pitcher stands out, and Kodai Singa's ghost fork is definitely something that I think could rise him up boards. Finishing off this tier at 49 and a half because I forgot about him. <coughs> Sorry, Mr. Hunter Brown. You are being placed here. A lot of buzz around Hunter Brown in the industry right now. Hasn't had a great spring start, but he did put together an absolute magical 2022 season once he was called up, showcased his ability. You know, he has all the workings and mechanical ability of Justin Verlander. I think Hunter Brown's going to be a guy that you can pair into your rotation. And I think the upside of Hunter Brown could very well be similar to Alex Manoa's first full season in the major leagues. This is a guy at 49.50 that I think is an absolute steal. 
Yeah, I like everything you said. Uh, Hunter Brown, he did worry me. I looked into his box score a couple days ago uh, when he gave up three earned runs. But then when you look a little bit closer, it's because he gave up three walks in a row and got taken out. And the next pitcher gave up all three of those bad base runners to come in. So it's like they were inherited runners. So like, but then again, it was only his second outing. Every, like you said, everybody's trying to shake off some rust from being out of the game. So I don't want to overreact to it, but I am slightly concerned about his command and his control with that strike zone, but we'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Moving along to my next tier, I have my breakout 1Bs, and it starts out with Grayson Rodriguez at number 50, and then I have Hunter Brown, who you just mentioned, at 51, followed by Lucas Giolito at 52, 53, I have Reed Detmers, 54, Trevor Rogers, and 55, Patrick Sandoval. I think the biggest wild card here is Lucas Giolito at 52. There's been a lot of buzz about him changing his arm angle, his weight's fluctuating, he's gaining weight, losing weight, that messes with his mechanics. I'm not entirely sure where he's at with um, which arm angle he's going with this year and which weight was closer to when he finally broke out. We could easily see him jump back into the top 20 or you could be dropping him after the first month of the season. Still worth a flyer at this range. Reed Detmers and Trevor Rogers, I like a lot. I want to at least get one of those guys. Then Patrick Sandoval, he has the stuff. He just doesn't go the innings. He only will go four and two-thirds, five innings, runs into trouble, and he gets into that third lineup uh, around the, the horn there. Um, but, yeah, I like at least one or two of these guys. I think, honestly, I'm passing on Grayson Rodriguez this year for the simple fact of the innings and – I think he's going to rise in drafts further than I'm willing to take him. I feel like you have to reach on him 20 or 30 picks earlier than where he's ranked if you really want to ensure that you're going to get a Grayson Rodriguez just for that simple rookie of the year buzz. And so I think for those reasons, I'm out on Grayson Rodriguez, at least this year. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. You know, I I have, especially in dynasty formats, I have steered away from starting pitching because we see so much variance in it. I think about my own success with rookies. Really, Alec Manoa was one of the first guys that came up and provided me, you know, set him and forget him kind of stats where I could be comfortable with, hey, you know what? I know I can keep him in my four or my five slot, and he's just going to give me production. You know, you have struggled with the same thing with guys like Reed Detmers, Trevor Rogers. You've seen some some return on that investment. You've also seen the downfall of what it can be to to run into major league um, caliber bats and to struggle. And, and I think when you're talking about then redrafts, you really have to hit on the, the high end talent, and that would be the Grayson Rodriguez of this season. But again, you're going to have to be mindful that come the end of the season, you're going to have innings restrictions. You're going to have limitations. You know, like these are guys that are really presumably, if you look at the 10 year window, 15 year window of fantasy baseball since we've been playing, guys that should be your number five starter. You are not drafting Grayson Rodriguez with the hopes that, oh my gosh, I may get a number two out of this kid because at some point in the season, that number two production that he may return will disappear. And you just have to be mindful of that, especially if you're a team that's thinking about being competitive for a championship. You've got to have a fallback for those kids that are going to help you get to that point. Well, just looking at, um, sorry to cut you off, but just looking at that same ESPN rankings sheet, Grayson Rodriguez is ranked 203 right now. I'm thinking you're going to have to take him around pick 170 or 180 if you really want to make sure you get Grayson Rodriguez. 
I'd rather have Kodai Senga at 179, Jeffrey Springs at 183, or somebody for whatever reason ESPN has ranked Dustin May at 211. Give me Dustin May all day over Grayson Rodriguez, who's actually ranked eight spots behind Grayson Rodriguez. I'd rather take any three of those guys over Grayson Rodriguez this year. Now, if it's Keeper Dynasty League, completely different story. I'd be more than willing to reach on Grayson Rodriguez. Yeah, see, I think, I mean, looking at my own rankings here, I have Rodriguez over uh, Kodai Singa, and I, I would probably rather have Grayson Rodriguez just because I think Singa is going to run into the same issues we see from a lot of Japanese pitchers, which is, you know, you're pitching every five days. That's something that they don't do in Japan. You're facing a caliber of hitter you haven't faced in Japan. Um, but it's a very close comp. I think that was a great comp, great comp. And when you talk about Dustin May, I have Dustin May in my 30s. You know, for me, it's an absolute no-brainer I'm taking Dustin May, even with an innings limit because of the absolute filth that Dustin May showcased before Tommy John. But you're right. Like, in, in redraft leagues, you're going to have to reach, and you're going to have to ask yourself those very hard questions. Would I rather have? And I think the names you threw out there were absolute perfect comps. Kind of jumping into my tier 50 now. Um, this is where I'm thinking about, okay, maybe I've waited a little bit on the starting pitcher, or again, I'm looking for my number five. These are guys that aren't going to jump off the page at you. They're not going to provide high-end value. Again, I do have springs here, but again, I probably will be pushing him up my ranking, so be mindful of that. Starting off at 50, I have Joe Ryan. Has been pretty consistent since he's come up to the major leagues. Uh, I don't absolutely love the ceiling. I think he's a, a high-floor guy. Pablo Lopez, same thing. We've seen some great return from Pablo Lopez in the last few years, but we've also seen some inconsistency. Uh, 52, I have Springs, as forementioned. 53, I have Nathan Avaldi. Has been pretty consistent while healthy. I think, again, going to Texas with a probably a better lineup than he had in Boston is going to help him. He does have an injury this spring, which is a little bit concerning. It's a side tightness, so you know want to monitor that as well. Um, I have San Patrick Sandoval coming in at 54. Supposedly last season, the industry has been talking about this over the last week. He lost the feel for that incredible changeup that he has. Supposedly he has it back. He did lean more on the, the sweeping slider that he has. So if he can pair three pitches together, you may be even looking for a bigger statistical jump from Sandoval this season. Again, I'm not banking on it. That's why he falls at 54. 55, I have Luis Garcia. Again, more consistency coming from that Houston Astros rotation. I've liked what I've seen from him over the last couple of years. But again, the upside just probably isn't there. He did have to t uh, change some mechanical adjustments to the way he delivers. So we have to be mindful of that. There might be a, a few mechanical adjustments throughout the season. And then kind of finishing off this tier of consistency, I have Jordan Montgomery. Was okay for the Yankees and then was absolutely dominant for the Cardinals. I think we're probably going to see some uh, median line drawn this season for Montgomery. I'd expect a... 3-4, 3-5 ERA, you know, strikeout per inning. You're going to get the innings from Montgomery. He's on a good team in a bad division. So if you're looking at all these guys, he might be the guy of all of these individuals outside of Springs that I think probably has the most possible upside, and he comes in at 56. Yeah, mine is very similar. My next tier, I call it my boring tier. Um, <laughs> I, I, these are just guys uh, more than likely that I'm probably passing on. Um or I'm just reaching for those other, because my breakout 1Bs that I mentioned, like the Reed Detmer, Trevor Rogers, Sandoval, probably depending on what platform you're playing on, are probably ranked behind these guys just because 
they haven't done it yet, but I think their ceiling is higher. Um, so just by sheer fact of my rankings compared to uh, the other industry, I'm probably not getting any of these guys, but let's just start off. I have 56, I have Luis Garcia. Um, I'm very concerned with the pitch clock and how long his rot um, delivery takes for him. I'm, I'm curious to see what happens. Um, I'll have to do some digging and see what Luis Garcia's ERA is when there's uh, base runners on because he changes um, his windup when there's someone on first for obvious reasons. Um, so I'd be curious to see how much of a change that is. But as of right now, I'm not banking on it. 57, I have Jose Barrios absolutely got obliterated last year. I mean, we've seen it from Jose Barrios in the past that he can be serviceable. I just don't know if I can bank on it, if I'm willing to invest a pick on him. 58, I have Drew Rasmussen. Then 59, Freddie Peralta. That shoulder injury worries me. 60, John Gray. And then 61, Miles Michaelis and Martin Perez. Those are just inning eaters that aren't going to have as much strikeout upside as that previous tier that I mentioned. So a lot of a lot of names there, injury risk. Uh, a lot of them come with concerns, or they just don't have as much of an upside or the ceiling as the other guys I like. Yeah, and I think where we are in our rankings right now, you know, you're seeing that low floor or that uh, that higher floor at times. You're seeing that lower ceiling, and you're seeing more injury concerns. Um, you know, my next tier is kind of polar opposite of that. I call this the, you know, former superstar slash, you know possible breakout so starting off it's lucas giolito at 57 and jose barrios these were guys that we were talking about as top 20 starting pitchers for a few years in a row jose barrios was mr consistent for a while before going over toronto and then had as you said an absolute abysmal 2022 season i have both of them ranked right next to each other because i do think one of them bounces back i don't think both of them bounce back so you're really taking a risk as to who you take. And personally, I'm going to bank on the fact that Jose Barrios is going to figure it out. He still has the stuff. He has the ability. Um, you just got to find a way to limit those home runs. And with the change in ballpark as well in Toronto, there is even more concern this season. But I have always liked the possibility of Jose Barrios taking even a step forward before last season as becoming a true ace. We just haven't seen it. And Lucas Giolito had question marks all the way through his uh, prospect pedigree you know, marred with the Tommy John surgery after the trade, and then inconsistency. While being able to pitch at an ace possible tier level at times, last year I think really saw where we're going to see Lucas Giolito pitch the rest of his career as a guy that is just inconsistent. After these names, I have a couple guys that I look to maybe take a step forward, um, you know, or as well regain their star ability. 59, I have Trevor Rogers. Definitely last year, didn't perform the full season the way we would have liked. He was dropped in a few leagues. He was traded in dynasty leagues. As he came back from the injury, he started to perform like him, his old self, only to get hurt again. Uh, has had a great start of the spring training so far. We're starting to see him possibly regain that form. I think he's an individual at the end of drafts that you could target as your number five that could see growth as well as his ceiling rise yet again. And at number 60, I have Reed Detmers, another guy that we saw kind of struggle as he came up showcase high strikeout numbers in the minor leagues it didn't necessarily translate to the major leagues almost followed the same trend as rogers being dropped and traded in dynasty leagues and then all of a sudden took fire in june of last year i think you could see even another step forward for detmers and a guy you can target if you're looking for heavy strikeouts at the end of your draft 
Yeah, and a lot of those guys you mentioned I had in my previous tier of my breakout 1Bs. So this is a tier I like a lot, and I'm investing heavily in those guys you mentioned, like Reed Detmers, Trevor Rogers. Um, they've shown that upside. Reed Detmers increased that slider and was phenomenal when he came back to the majors. I mean, he even threw no-hitter, even though it was trash. Um, probably the worst no-hitter in history, to be honest. But he still threw it. I mean, he's got the ability to go the distance. Um now let's get into my last tier, 63 through 70. I call these my late round flyers. A lot of different profiles here. First, I have 63, Brady Singer. Showed a lot of strikeout upside, but he plays for uh, a bad team with the Kansas City Royals. 64, Merrill Kelly. I compare him a lot to Miles Michaelis and Martin Perez. Probably going to give you some innings, not as much strikeouts. Michael Kopech and Edward Cabrera I have at 65, 66. These are guys who have the strikeout ability. They just haven't figured it out. They struggle with command, walk around three to four guys per nine, which is way higher than you want. You want to see that around two or three. Then uh, to round it out, Sonny Gray at 67, Andrew Painter at 68, and then Andrew Heaney at 69, and Lance McCullers at 70. Lance McCullers was actually a lot higher in my rankings before he got injured, and it just made me realize, why do I keep falling for it every <laughs> single year? Lance McCullers, Lance McCullers, he's the guy. He's got the ability. He's got this amazing curveball, and he, he's got the stuff, but he just can't stay healthy. So Lance McCullers will always have a sweet spot in my heart, and so that's why I have to rank him 70, even though he probably shouldn't even be ranked at all at this point. Andrew Painter uh, should be noted. He is dealing with right elbow soreness, and Matt will scour Twitter and any news source he can <laughs> and not get any information on it. Um, so that's honestly a little worrisome, if I'm being honest, because if there was nothing, I think they would have came out and said, you know, he's just dealing with, you know, dead arm early in the season or something, and I'm... I'm curious if they're waiting to get a second opinion. I, I mean, I can't believe they haven't come out and said anything. It's been almost a week at the time of this recording, and there's still no news other than they don't think it's a long-term issue is the only update I've seen. I don't know if you've seen anything else, Matt, but um, yeah, that pretty much rounds out my starting pitching rankings. Matt, why don't you uh, take us home? Yeah, and I'll touch on Painter here in a minute. I have a, a couple names I have to blow through to catch up with you. My tier 61 through 65 is kind of to your previous tier. It's my boring tier. And it's guys that I do think are going to provide value for you. It's just they're not the sexiest names. So Drew Rasmussen for Tampa Bay, I do expect to see an innings increase for Drew Rasmussen. He has lost his RP designation, so that spark that he was providing you last year is now gone. He will have to be a starting pitcher for you do think there is some growth there i think he is being slept on a little bit and i do possibly also expect him to possibly be a sleeper and a breakout this year all to be determined on how many much volume he is provided down there in tampa merrill kelly coming in at 62 had a really nice season last year finally seemed to put his ability together pitching for what was a bad diamondbacks team you're going to see an improvement from that lineup this season Coming in at 63 was the emergence of Miles Michaelis back on the form he had showed before the injuries. I think Miles Michaelis, while not a sexy, high-ceiling individual, provides you with good counting numbers as well as a good team. There could be wins attached there. Brady Singer coming in at 64. We saw a very good stretch for him last year. You know, Kansas City has to have a singular pitcher do well, and I think that will be Singer this season. 
at 65 to kind of finish off this tier of boringness. Sonny Gray, you know, Sonny Gray has had ups and downs in his career. Now with Minnesota, I think we're going to see a possible healthy season from Gray. But again, not the sexiest of ceilings for 65 Sonny Gray. Then my next tier is really a, uh, a tier of sleepers and breakouts. At 66, I have Michael Kopech. I'm looking at him as a sleeper this year. People have definitely fallen off their love for Kopech with all of the news you know, of his personal life as well as the injuries that he's occurred in his career. Had a really great start to the 2022 season and then had that injury. We're looking for him to put it all together and finally showcase that prospect pedigree that got Chris Sale obviously involved in the deal to Boston. Andrew Painter at 67, you kind of touched on him. We have no news other than they don't think it's long-term. I have not seen an organization take time to release designated news on an elbow like this since we possibly saw the Zach Gallen news come out of Arizona. So there is a little bit of concern there, obviously, for me, but I think no news is usually good news. Um, Andrew Painter, from a perspective of what we're going to see on the mound, absolute star. I think his height, his velocity, his breaking and off-speed pitches are something that you absolutely want to covet in fantasy baseball. But the elbow injury definitely tempers my expectations for him. 68, I have John Gray as a possible breakout. 69, I have Edward Cabrera as a possible breakout. And at 70, I have my last pitcher listed as a sleeper, and that is Andrew Heaney. Yeah, uh, a lot of those names are very similar to mine. I mean, honestly, with the elbow issue to Painter, you can probably get him pretty late in drafts now and still shoot for the upside if you have the bench space. Before we move on to relief pitcher, there are two names that are not ranked that have some question marks that if you have the space, I would definitely love to hold them, and that is Trevor Bauer and Mike Clevenger, both dealing with off-season or off-the-field issues, Trevor Bauer obviously was suspended all last year he's now been reinstated and let go by the los angeles dodgers so he currently does not play for a team we'll see how long that takes with injuries and teams needing um, players there was some question marks about him with the sticky stuff and he started to fall off before everything came out and then mike clevenger actually was just um uh, I forget what the, the official news is, but it doesn't look like he's facing any criminal charges and the investigation is pretty much over. Um, I mean, there was, I think it was something along the lines of he beat his wife and child, but it didn't, it wasn't uh, substantiated. So he might be reinstated here soon. So by the time you're listening to this, that could be a mood point. He could be back at spring training and throwing and be ready for opening day. And he might start popping up on rankings, but those are two names that you should definitely keep in, the, in your back pocket for end of drafts. Matt, before we move on to relief pitchers, are there any like outside of the top 300, like super deep sleepers that you want to talk about or any comments on Clevenger or Bauer? Yeah, Clevenger for me, he has officially been resolved of any wrongdoing from Major League Baseball, so he will not be facing suspension. I think that came out either yesterday or today that he's officially good to go. He'll probably fall in for me in my rankings um, right in between 60 and 61. Reed Detmers, I would still rather have. He'll probably fall in right ahead of Drew Rasmussen. I do like Clevenger ceiling a little bit more than I like what I've seen from Rasmussen. So he's not going to get that much of a climb. But Bauer is definitely the name you want to keep an eye on. If he can get picked up by a team like Texas, possibly New York Mets, you're talking about a guy that could provide you know instant value as a guy that could shoot all the way up our boards into that 40, 50 tier um, rankings. And 
again, I know that there was the, sick, the sticky stuff concerns, but Bauer's always been a put-away pitcher. He's always been a strikeout pitcher. I think even with a four ERA, you're going to provide a lot of value back from an individual like Trevor Bauer. Uh, I got a couple of sleepers, and these are guys that you may want to just think about for streaming. Definitely not guys I'm looking to draft unless you're talking about deep, deep leagues. That's Justin Steele and uh, Brian Bello for the Red Sox, Steele for the Cubs. Steele was a nice little streaming option for, the, for me last season against bad teams like the Pirates, sometimes the Reds, obviously on the road. Um, and then Bello is a high strikeout pedigree pitcher. Definitely not the prospect of a Grayson Rodriguez, but a guy for Boston that I think can kind of develop into a 3.75, 3.5 ERA guy with plus strikeouts per inning. Again, both guys you're probably going to want to be streaming or guys that you may just want to grab at the end of your deep, deep drafts to hopefully provide you some upside. Yeah, I like that. Uh, Bello is somebody I was very high on and disappointed. I think I was expecting a little too much from him when he first came up um, to the Red Sox, but um, I, I do like him a lot. He's going a lot further than I thought he would be. But uh, let's move along to relief pitcher. Um, so I ranked the top 15, and I have a list of sleepers to go ahead with that. Um, I'll start off with my, my first tier, and it's very simple. It's Edwin Diaz and Emmanuel Classe. I don't think anybody comes close to them. I think they're almost guaranteed locks for 30, if not 40 saves. They both throw amazing heat with the fastball, and they get a lot of strikeouts. Not much to worry about. The only thing that does worry me is the draft position of where you need to take them. Uh, Edwin Diaz is going around 63, and Emmanuel Classe is around 65. I'm not willing to invest a top five or six uh, round draft pick on either of these guys. I think you can get similar production a little later. It's after my 13th relief pitcher where you start to find some question marks, but I'm more than willing to wait. Um, on relief pitchers. So Matt, that's my first tier. What does yours look like? Yeah, I mean, I think you said it best. You have two names at the top this year that we have absolute consistency with. And then after that, you have a couple guys that I think provide high-end ability to enter into this tier. Diaz and Classe are my one, my two. There's no question about that. Coming in directly after, I have kind of a tier of three. That's Hayter, Devin Williams, and Inglesias for the Braves. Hayter obviously had an absolute up and down 2022 season, obviously being traded from Milwaukee to San Diego, losing the job in San Diego, and then coming back to dominant form in the playoffs. Devin Williams for the Brewers and that electric changeup. You have the pedigree of what should be a 40-save closer. The question is, can his fastball live up to the same pedigree that that changeup does? And, you know, mentally, can he accept the role of being the closer without Hayter there? He was very upset when the Hayter trade went down. Um, Inglesias, again, another player that's been inconsistent throughout his career, but when coming over to Atlanta last year, absolutely shined. They did change some of his pitch mixes when he went from Anaheim to Atlanta. I think we're going to see even more of a growth step for him moving into this role with the Braves. And again, I think these are all three players that could enter into a tier one. It just depends on who do you want. Do you want the absolute lock stock strikeout individual that Diaz is? Do you want the consistency of Classe? Are you looking to wait just a little bit, pass those guys up and take the upside of a Hader Williams and Inglesias? Now, personally for me, I'm looking for the second tier. Uh, the, the cost and the price of Diaz and Classe is just not worth it when I can take other individuals that can amplify either my rotation or my lineup when I can get a guy that should give me similar production. Um, now, again, you have risk attached to that. 
Yeah, mine is very similar. In my second tier, I have Devin Williams, Josh Hader, and Rosiel Iglesias. Definitely can see Josh Hader getting back into that tier one, just like you mentioned. The other thing that's not very well known is Josh Hader, around the time he was getting traded, was he was dealing with some personal stuff. I, I don't know exactly what it was, and I don't think it was a fully released, but I want to say his child or newborn child was dealing with some medical issues or something. I can't confirm that, but I... As a new parent, I could tell you that would definitely play a big factor in my mental state and being locked in at the game. So, um, we haven't said that. We'll move into my tier three. I have Jordan Romano for the Blue Jays, then Ryan Presley for the Astros, Felix Bautista for the Orioles at eight, and then Ryan Helsley for the Cardinals at nine, and Kenley Jansen at 10 for the Red Sox. This is a tier that I am targeting. I want at least one of these guys. I think they are locked in. They could potentially um, get into that tier one. Jordan Romano, plenty of saves. Bautista and Hensley or Helsley, they have over 100 mile an hour fastballs. I think they're pretty much locked in. There is Giovanni Gallegos um, nipping at the heels for Ryan Helsley, but I think he's got that job onto himself. Um, my only concern is does Ryan Helsley pitch the three four five um or two three four batters regardless if they come on the eighth or the ninth and giovanni gallegos gets you know the the lower half if it happens in the night he gets a seven eight nine that would be my only concern with him and i have kenley jansen at the back end just for the simple fact he's playing for a red sox team that lost xander bogarts they lost jd martinez they're not going to have as good of an offense so i think he's going to get less saves than we are anticipating, but I still think he's got no competition for that relief uh, pitcher closing spot. Yeah, I have Jansen all the way for 16th, and I'll kind of hit on exactly the things you just talked about once we get there. Um, Ryan Helsley, I think you've said it perfectly. The concern is, you know, with his electric, absolute dominant self of 2022, I think there is a concern that he's going to be used as that fireman at times to go ahead and attack the absolute root of the order, the heart of the order. And Gallegos isn't, you know, no joke himself, but he definitely doesn't have the same kind of stuff that Helsley has. So Helsley falls for me a little bit because, again, I just think that they may utilize him outside that closer role. But starting off my next tier is more of just the individuals that are consistent on good teams, don't necessarily showcase the electric stuff that the guys ahead of them have. And that's Jordan Romano coming in at number eight. I have Felix Batista coming in at number nine. I absolutely love Batista. I know he is coming off a couple injuries from the offseason, but I expect this Orioles team to be very competitive this season, and I expect for them to be in very close games, which is just going to go ahead and lead to Batista getting more save opportunities. I think you could see Batista getting 40 saves this season, and I don't think that's an exaggeration. So he could push into the top of Tier 2, if not just solidifying himself in that Tier 2. At number 10, I have Presley. Um, Ryan Presley for the Astros, obviously great team, has had marring of injuries over the last couple of years. You can almost expect him to be on the IL at least once, if not twice in a season. Ryan Helsley coming in next for me. Um, Ryan Helsley, my apologies, is actually coming in, I think, at number nine. I have my numbers and my spreadsheet all messed up. Thank you for <laughs> not being computer literate, Matt. So my apologies. Um, and then I have Duvall for the Giants coming and following that. I think these guys have produ producing upside potential because, you know, they've missed possibly that breakout window. Helsley obviously broke out without necessarily the same numbers. Duvall has the stuff to be a dominant closer, just hasn't put it all together yet. 
Presley, Bautista, and Romano being guys that you can consistently lean on. I like all of these names. I'm actually happy with any of these guys being my closer, if not one, two. Yeah, I like everything you said besides Camille Duvall. I just don't like the Giants. I feel like they always go with the committee and they never lock it down. So that worries me when I'm when I have a closer this high in the rankings, I, I want to make sure it's solidified. Um, but having said that, my next tier, pretty much after Kenley Jansen at 10, I don't think it's locked down by any means or you're playing on a great team. So at 11, I have Clay Holmes, was great and phenomenal in the beginning of the season and then kind of fell apart near the end. David Bednar for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, you know what you're getting with him. He's pretty solid. It's just how many saves can you get on a horrible Pittsburgh Pirates team that could possibly be the worst in the league this year. Then at 13, I have Daniel Bard for the Colorado Rockies. I like what he's done. He's been re-inked. Um, they signed him to, I think, a two- or three-year extension. So he's pretty much solidified as their closer moving forward. And this is the, the tier where I don't really like – honestly, I don't think I'm going to get any of these guys because I don't feel confident in it. And I'd like to have at least one of the guys in my top ten – and at this point, because I don't feel so confident, I'd rather just wait and grab one of these other guys that is in a committee or they have electric stuff and they're just waiting for their chance. And I'd rather take the upside of one of those guys than one of these boring closers that has the role locked down. And that rounds up my fourth tier. Matt, where are you at in your rankings and any thoughts or comments on this tier of mine? Yeah, Camille Duvall... I, I totally respect where you're coming from, and the reason I have him ranked where I do, I have him at 10, is because everyone after him either has ability concerns or team concerns. And I actually have Holmes at 11 as well. And, you know, looking at the first half of last year, I'm putting Holmes probably right there with Devin Williams, you know, if not even ahead of Devin Williams. I mean, he was absolutely electric. And then we did see the concern, which was the second half, which was an absolute abysmal performance where he, you know, would have lost his job if adult, if uh, Chapman could do anything on the field. I do expect to see, again, more of a median uh, outcome for Holmes this year, but I like the ability of Duvall and the youth of Duvall a little bit more. That's why I give him the, the bump above him. Coming in at 12, I have Bednar as well. Your concerns are exactly my concerns. Um, Johan Duran comes in at 13 for me. Johan Duran could be an absolute monster breakout season if they give him the role. The problem is for him, the same concerns you've seen from Helsley is that he is such an electric pitcher that they may use him as a fireman approach and not really give him that solidified closer role. But again, in a bad division where you're going to be playing close games, I could see him having an absolute breakout season. 14, I have Kenley Jansen. Absolutely have not liked Kenley Jansen for years now, um, and I really don't like him on Boston. I think Boston is going to be an absolutely pathetic team this year. You said it about the Pirates. I'm saying it about the Red Sox. I think the Red Sox will not win 65 games this season, um, and that's going to go into Jansen not saving more than 20 games. So concern for Jansen. Um, even more concern for my 15, though, and Paul Seawald. Seawald was a lot of excitement last year, but you have Munoz right behind him. And I think Munoz is far and away the more electric pitcher. And I think he will take that job from Seawald at some point this season. But if Seawald can be the solidified closer this season, I'm probably jumping him all the way up in between Holmes and Bednar, if not above Holmes, because Seawald does have consistency in his approach through his career. Those are going to be my 15 guys. I do have some breakouts and some sparps to talk about next. Yeah, my next tier is 
pretty much just, I guess, could qualify as sleepers or breakouts. And it's Seawald and Andres Munoz together. Um, Seawald, everybody was jumping on Seawald just a year or two ago, just begging that he get the closer role and that he'd break into that top 10. Now he's the closer and people don't want anything to do with him because now there's Andres Munoz who has this amazing strikeout ability. Now, there's nothing wrong with it, but I'd at least want one of those guys and hope one of them six or it is a committee because if you're playing in categories or roto, those ratios and numbers that they're going to put up, even if they only get 20 saves a pop or each of them get 20 saves, I'd be more than happy with that. Um, I do have a list of sleepers and breakouts as, or I guess just sleepers and guys for saves and hold leagues. Um, but I'll let you go ahead first, Matt, as I uh, compile my list here. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of the same names here. Um, Munoz comes in for me at number one. I have loved him since he was on the Padres. You know, he had Tommy John, then ended up being traded ultimately with Ty France in that package. And I think there could be an opportunity this season for him to take that job from Paul Seawald as we just spoke on. So he's a big-time breakout. I got a target in your head-to-head categories leagues where you can possibly split closing duties with holds. Um, Jose Leclerc coming in as a breakout again. We saw, obviously, his breakout coming about four years ago now hasn't been able to replicate that ability he's also dealing with a neck injury here in spring always like always liked the arm just never really seen the consistency that we're looking for but he is an opportunity for you to target for cheap saves alex lang in detroit um you know someone's got to close these games there is question mark as to who it's going to be is it going to be lang i do think we're going to see a jump this season from the tigers uh, riley's obviously playing very well this spring you know torkelson is not but you could see some more competitive baseball. And even if they're able to win 70 games, I think each one of these wins is going to be a very close game, which means saves are going to be needed. And then Kendall Graveman. Obviously, the, the negative uh, news from Liam Hendricks this season opens up a door for the closing opportunity in Chicago. I think Graveman's the guy that I've looked at over the last couple of years in holds leagues uh, to definitely target. And I think saves could be a direct correlation with his ability as a setup man. So those are just some of the names that I'm looking at as possible breakouts, possible sleepers for the 2023 season. Yeah, I like what you said with the White Sox. Um, honestly, I want one of all of them. And if we get some more news, Reynaldo Lopez is in the mix. Kendall Graveman, like you mentioned, I wouldn't even mind if you have the IL space to go and get Liam Hendricks. Um, I mean, he does have cancer, and I don't know how long the chemo is going, but there is a slim chance he might be back at the end of the season. Um, I'm not banking on it, but just something to note. Matt Brash of the Seattle Mariners, I like a lot. He was the talk of the town this time a year ago and how he was potentially going to get a rotation spot, but all he had was the fastball and the slider, one of the best sliders in the game. Just couldn't command it. I mean, we haven't heard much from him, but I wouldn't be surprised if he goes the Spencer Strider route and figures it out. Um, I did want to mention for people listening in saves and holds leagues, um, those teams or that have co-committee or sharing the closer role, those are the closers I want to target the most because it doesn't matter if they win or lose the job because if they don't, they're going to be a setup man and they're going to get holds either way. So even though they're docked on rankings like um, the Paul Seawalls and Andres Munoz or the Camille Duvalls and Taylor Rogers. When we're talking about that, I don't care. Those are the guys I want to get because I know they're being discounted because they're not officially the closer, but either way, they're going to get, um, some production. 
But having said that, some other names to look out for um, for the New York Yankees, Michael King was phenomenal and was, if Hedy not get, gotten injured last year, I think he takes that role from Clay Holmes when Clay Holmes was struggling. They just didn't have anybody else. Um, moving along, Jason Adam um, for Tampa Bay Rays. They like to do a committee. Could see him mixing and matching with Pete Fairbanks. Um, Rafael Montero and Brian Abreu for the Houston Astros. I mean, Ryan Presley is going to get the saves. That's not a question. These two guys, I had Rafael Montero last year in my saves and holds categories, and he was phenomenal. Had a 2.37 ERA, 23 holds, and a 27% strikeout rate. That is phenomenal, especially for a setup man. And there was one more I want to think about, but I can't find him. But either way, that's a good base for you to start if you're playing in a holds league. Matt, anything to mention? I know you don't normally play in holds leagues as much as I am, so... Yeah, I just pulled um, up a, oh, a real Taylor quick... Taylor Rogers was the other one, which I mentioned earlier. Real quick list here on uh, pitcherlist.com, which is kind of nice if you're looking at kind of checking out some of these guys for holds leagues. This is a great list to kind of, you know, lean on. This is going to be a tiered approach. You have uh, Munoz and Duran in tier one. They're ranked one and two. And then Evan Phillips is a guy I don't even think I would have, you know, considered. He's going to be the Dodgers um, bullpen. 28 years old, you have him coming in at three. Again, a guy that I would not have thought of. A.J. Minter, Jason Adams, Sir Anthony Dominguez, Jose Alvarado. Uh, you have Trevor Stevenson, who, again, a guy that I'm not too familiar with, but he is going to be on the Guardians, 27 years old. Uh, big name that I would have thought about for the Guardians would have been James Karinchek, a guy that's going to provide you high-end strikeouts. You know, Great pitcher. Obviously, no opportunity for the closers role there with Classe having that locked down. You kind of hit on Michael King. There's a lot of names Brian Abreu on here. Um, again, holds are plentiful. You know, if you were to look at the numbers in comparison to holds and saves last year with guys that broke that 10 and 20 mark threshold, it is exponentially higher for the individuals getting the holds. Uh, take a look at some of these lists. Again, the pitcherlist.com has a couple really nice names on there for you. Um, Matt Brash, I wanted to touch on a little bit. I think you said it perfectly. If there's a guy that could even come close to what Spencer Strider did as a SPARP, uh, RP eligible player. It could be brash if there's an injury and he gets an opportunity in that rotation. Definitely has that pitch. We kind of talked about that with Kodai Senga. You know, you want to find the guys that have something that sets them apart from everybody else. And I do think Brash's slider is elite. But I do have uh, I do have some names for Sparps here. Kind of compiled this list because I'm in dire need of RP help in a couple of my leagues. Uh, Matthew Boyd is returning to Detroit. He is only RP eligible right now. He is expected to fight and attain a rotational piece for the Tigers. Boyd, just a few years ago, was looking like a guy that you know you would fight with inconsistency but had high end upside. Aaron Ashby does have an injury. He is out for a while. There is concern that he may be up and down all season because of that injury, but you know there is opportunity there. Nick Martinez has won a rotational job with the Padres. I think just on pure volume with a team like that, you're looking at taking him as an opportunity for a spark. Well, until they sign Trevor Bauer, then then it all changes. But yeah, continue. I mean, that's the thing, right? Do they bring in another <laughs> rotational piece? You know, there's no way they're they're going to be okay with Nick Martinez being their number four, I think he is, or number five. They've got to bring somebody in. I, you know, I, I don't I like believe the, it. I like the Bauer um, comp there. The only concern is the girl that did levy um, accusations against him is from San Diego. So I don't think he'd say yes to that. 
Um, but moving on, we have uh, Whitlock for Boston. Obviously, I'm not sold on the Boston Red Sox this season. So, you know, there is some downside with the team he's going to play on, but I think you will get volume from him. Spencer Strider, obviously the number one spark in all of baseball. There's no question there. I barely need to mention him. Um, Springs, we talked about earlier. And then D.L. Hall is a name you can keep an eye on. You know, I don't know that he's going to start to kick off the year. I'm almost positive he will not. But I do think at least by June he will have entered this rotation. This is an individual that was a first-round pick, provides lots of upside, strikeout ability, has contr uh, control concerns. So you're definitely going to want to monitor his development. It might be a breakup that we're talking about for 2024, but he is a name you want to monitor. Yeah, you know you you know I like me some DL Hall. I love the stuff he's got. It's just Kenny commanded. I mean, he's another guy that I just think about. He's like a Matt Brash or Hunter Brown. They've got the stuff, but can they just find the strike zone? And yeah, hearing about his back injury um, right before spring training was like a dagger to my heart because I was like. Oh, maybe it's not happening this year. Um, so, yeah, that sucks. But, yeah, definitely somebody to think about late in your drafts. So that wraps up our relief pitching rankings. We got the Sparps. We've got the saves and holds and the guys we like. And that does it for all of our rankings altogether. On our next podcast, we'll get into our breakouts, bus, sleepers, and the best prospects we like. Until then, take care. We'll talk to you later.